Okay, welcome back to Kingdom 101. We also want to welcome those who are listening in to our SoundCloud channel. Great to have you back with us and we pray that you have been blessed by the teachings and also will be blessed with this evening's teaching also. We'll begin by reading the text and then we will pray. So this evening our teaching is from Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And we know, Lord, that you will continue to speak to us and teach us by your Holy Spirit. And so we commit this time to you. Please be with me and be with all gathered and all who are listening in. Holy Spirit, will you speak to us? You are the Spirit of the Christ, and we want to hear our King speaking to us and teaching us also. And so we bless you and we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you know this passage, I think quite clearly this, these few verses would be about prayer. It's about petitioning, it's about asking, seeking, and knocking. And more specifically, it's not just praying, it's about being very persistent, very persistent to press in, in your time of prayer. And I believe as Christians, we all know that we are to ask and we are to pray, but I'm sure also we would have experienced that when we do not receive our answers fast enough. You know, we find ourselves questioning and we ask ourselves, then pray for what? And sometimes when we are dealing with younger Christians also, one of the frequently asked questions would be, if God already knows, then ask for what? And now you understand why the title is titled as such. Ask for what? And even so, although we know to ask, the other question then comes, do we know what to ask for? Once again, ask for what? What is this teaching about prayer all about? Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11 can also sound like permission to ask for anything and for everything. That if you pray hard enough, long enough, often enough, you will surely get the good things. But is this what Jesus was teaching His disciples? Well, that all depends, right? What your eyes are actually fixed on. And if you remember the previous teaching, we learned that you can have good eye or you can have bad eye. If you have good eye, then you'll be seeing clearly and understanding this passage correctly. But if your eye is not so good and is a little blur, a little bit distracted, then we can misinterpret also what this teaching is all about. So to guard against this, context Context must always be our guide. What is the context of Matthew 7, 7 to 11? So let's start again with some observations. And even from the observation, we can learn so much already. Firstly, this is not an isolated teaching. It is not a passage just plucked out of the sky. In case we have forgotten, 
This teaching didn't start with chapter 7, verse 7. It actually started all the way back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. So if you really want to understand context, huh, you've got to go stun. You've got, you got to rewind. Huh? You've got to go back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, and then two plus chapters later, we arrive at this passage. And so if you want to interpret this correctly, you've got to see how this one passage links back to the entire sermon so far. It's almost like a a concluding statement as Jesus prepares to end the Sermon on the Mount. You can't just take this passage and say, okay, this is what it says. You've got to read it and understand it in light of what has already gone before. But what is this Sermon on the Mount? It's not just a nice teaching, it is a kingdom manifesto. The king is teaching us about his kingdom. He's trying to describe to us what the kingdom of God is all about. He as the Christ, the Messiah. And if we would listen to him, we will be learning how to align to the things of the kingdom. So he starts all the way back in chapter 5. And these would have been the topics or the issues that we would have explored and addressed over the many sessions. For example, he starts with this thing called the Beatitudes, the B1 to the B8, got the basement lift. You know, as you press the button to go up, you need to go down. He tells you that the kingdom of God is upside down. Later on, he talks about being salt and light. That you are not just people of the kingdom by yourself, that you are put back into the earth and the world to be a kingdom influence. At the same time, he talks about the law and the prophets, which is really about kingdom righteousness. And this righteousness is not just for you to be legalistic, to dot your I's and to cross your T's. You've got to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now, Jesus then goes on to give an interpretation of the law of the kingdom. Now, as the king, he would be the best person and the one best place to help us understand what the law is all about. He says, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. But if you are trying to hold on to this law and and, and try to do it by your own strength, you can become legalistic, it can condemn you, it can kill you. The kingdom of God has to be lifted out by the spirit of the king. Then he goes on to talk about kingdom attitudes. He says when you give things and you do good things, you know, just just be quiet about it. It, There's a hiddenness. Kingdom attitudes is not where you will boast and where you declare all these things. You keep quiet and God who sees you in your secret place, He will then reward you in the right manner. When you pray, it's the same thing. When you fast, the same thing. It's not spiritual showmanship. It's kingdom hiddenness. And he takes a little bit of a detour and talks about a disciple's prayer, which we normally call the Lord's Prayer. But really, this is a kingdom's prayer. And we we spent weeks teaching and learning about this to help us have a right perspective when we pray. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke about true treasures. He says, if you want to look at finance, wealth, and money, this is the right perspective. Don't lay up this stuff. What you should be doing is to lay up heavenly stuff. These are the real treasures. This is the right perspective. And if you keep this perspective correctly, don't worry, be happy. You don't have to worry about the things, the the, the basic necessities. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things will be provided for. It's a done deal. And then last week, 
Remember, we came back and we looked at kingdom justice and mercy. That if you want to determine what the laws are and live by the kingdom, you, you can't run away from judging. But when you want to judge, make sure you judge correctly so that there can be justice and at the same time, there will be mercy. And then we come to Matthew chapter 7. How's that for a nice summary of what we have covered so far? See, but without understanding all that has gone on, we won't understand what Matthew chapter 7 and 7 to 11 is all about. Suddenly he talks about prayer once more. And not only prayer, but persistence in prayer. Why does he go back to prayer once more? Why is this important? What was the focus Jesus was trying to give to the people? And what are we to be persistent about? When I look at the entire contents of the Sermon on the Mount, and up to now, if, if you are like me, I, I can't live out this kingdom. I'm unable to meet these standards. Is there anyone here like me? Anyone here, if you're listening in even, do you feel a certain helplessness after you go through all these portions and the points of what Jesus is saying and you're like, this is how I want you to live. Now go out there and live it. I have a sense of a feeling of helplessness. And when I look at this, I realize this prayer of the persistence in my prayer is really a cry for divine help. That's what this prayer is about. Lord, I cannot make it. I really need your help. I don't really need your help. I really, really need your help. And you can add a few more reallys. I can't do this on my own. I mean, I, I really, Lord, I want to be faithful to all that you have taught. I want to be salt. I want to be light. I want to love like you. I want to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. I don't want to boast. I want to pray for the kingdom. I want to judge correctly. But man, I fail. I cannot do it on my own strength. I'm, I'm unable to, Lord. And I know I need His help. But there's one question we have to ask ourselves. I know you agree with me, all that I've just said. The question is this. How badly do you want His help? How desperate are you to live kingdom? How badly do you want to be a servant of God, a disciple of God, that would, that would be such a testimony of the kingdom of God? How, how desperate are you for the things of God? How badly do you want to serve your Lord and your King? Are you desperate enough to be asking and to seek and to knock as, as this passage has already shared with us? Jesus says, this is what you must do now. Ask for it. Seek for it. Knock, because if you will do all these things, then you will receive this help that you need. As you're listening to this, some of you might be wondering, oh, are you sure this is what this passage is? I've never heard it preached like that later. And I always say that Christians have big butts. Because we'll always say, but, 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 wait, hang on. Wait, 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 let's look at the text. I mean, look at it. it they're good things, and, and they're... How much more good things? What about these statements, right? It doesn't talk about help, does it? Let's explore this. Because we want to stay to the text. We want the text to talk to us. We want the Holy Spirit to bring this chapter or this, this passage alive for us. But we cannot read something into it if it's not there. 
What about the good things? What about the how much more? Verse 11, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts. There you see, Pastor, good gifts. How much more? You see, more. Will your Father who is in heaven give good things? There you go, good things. So let's look at the good things. Sounds good. And I suggest to you that it is very easy to mistake this as a prayer for material blessings. Again. I mean, can you tell that we are, we are just so, I, I'm going to use the word hopeless, <laughs> that at the very first opportunity eh, to look for material things, eh, we'll, we'll be the first to put our hand already. But it's so easy to mistake it as that kind of a prayer because of these references to bread, which is a material thing, as well as fish. At best, it may be about basic needs. But at worst, if we really stretch this kind of a thinking to an extreme, we can take it to mean the big cars and the nice big houses and the bungalows and the mansions and everything that we can consider as a good gift. Is it right? However, and this is where I want to challenge you to think with me. However, Jesus had already addressed once in the sermon. He's already told you, don't lay up all these things. Doesn't it sound funny that few verses before he says, come on, stop focusing on all these things. And a few verses later, he tells you to ask, seek, and knock for these things, and you can have more. It doesn't make sense. You see, if we read it by ourselves, we can take it to mean that. But if we read it in the context, something does not connect. After he challenges us about earthly treasures, he goes on to talk about the basic needs. He says, don't worry about these needs. Now, if he tells you, don't worry, just seek the kingdom, now why would he suddenly now tell you, ask, seek, and knock for basic needs? It doesn't make sense. So I believe it's a rhetorical question that he was posing. And although it employs the basic items of bread and fish, and in a parallel passage in Luke, he actually talked about eggs. I submit to you that it's not about that. Because making this about material needs, material wants, and material blessings immediately contradicts all that Jesus had addressed and taught in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. How many of you would love to say an amen to that? Not very convincing. Yet somewhere inside it's like, are you sure? Because we are still holding on to the big butt. Are you really sure? But if we would think a little bit more, there's another gospel that makes it all about material blessing. And it's not the gospel of the kingdom, mind you. The prosperity gospel, the materialistic gospel, and the consumeristic gospel makes it all about material needs and material wants and material blessings. Is this not true? Just think about this. I've heard many sermons quoting this one passage giving us the permission to ask for as many things as you want. Let me give you one example. I think it was a couple of, quite a few months ago now, that I chanced upon this Facebook post by a very well-known pastor, and I will name him because his face is there, is Pastor Joel Austin. Some of you might be familiar with him, and you might even be, have been inspired or motivated by some of his remarks or some of his posts. 
And it prompted me to write this article called The Dangers of Biblical Illiteracy, Inspiration or Interpretation. And in this post by Lakewood Church, he quoted James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. Now, as I've already shared with you, the book of James can be seen or described as a mini commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. So all that Jesus had taught in the Sermon on the Mount, the Apostle James comments on it and teaches from it to say, this is how you should be living. And so this would be a good case for us to examine. So this is what Pastor Joel Austin says. When we ask to merely survive, to get by, to just endure, that's a weak prayer. That's asking amiss. God is saying, I created the whole universe. I own it all. Don't come to me with a weak prayer asking me to help you live in mediocrity, endure the trouble, survive another month. No, when you come to me, ask big, knowing that I'm a more than enough God. And so according to Pastor Joel, his interpretation of asking amiss is to ask weakly. That means you ask wrongly. You ask in the wrong way. You ask too weak, you understand? If you ask amiss, this is the wrong way to pray. You must ask big, bold prayers. Ask for your mansion. Ask for your uh, uh, six-figure salary. Okay, Ask for all these things because our God is a big God. I submit again to you that Austin's interpretation is the one that's totally amiss. Because if you read James chapter 4, verse 3, he quoted only half of it. He missed out the second part. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you spend it on your pleasure. So the point that James was saying about asking amiss is that you're asking with the wrong motive. It's not that you're asking weakly. You're asking for too small. No. You're asking with the wrong motive. And this is the funniest thing because as I read uh, this post on Facebook, what he's trying to explain totally contradicts what James is trying to say. In fact, the Apostle James was trying to teach exactly what he was trying to misinterpret. And the craziest thing is that at that point of just reading that Facebook post, he had already garnered thousands of posts. And Christians are just sharing it, sharing it, and liking it. And now you can even have a nice uh, click on Facebook, got flower come out on. <laughs> See, this is the problem with us today. We, we take one passage and we pull it out in isolation. And this is even worse. We take one verse, we chop it into half. And we misinterpret it. Now, I'm not saying God is not a big God. I'm not saying God is not able. But this is not the verse to use. See, the... Prosperity gospel makes it all about material things. And if your eye is a bad eye, then all you see will be money and material things in every verse you read in the Bible. And if you apply it in that way and justify and rationalize for yourself. James was teaching exactly the opposite. He's saying, check your motives. It's not about the material things. He goes on and he says, you, you adulterers and you adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? See, kingdom people, you need to know what the king really is saying. Jesus had already taught us to say, 
Stop looking at the earthly treasures. Stop hoarding up all these things. Do you think really a few verses later he will tell you, then you ask and seek and knock until you get a lot of things. Jesus is not confused. Jesus does not contradict himself. We are the one that's putting an interpretation in his mouth. But I know you're still asking the big but. But, but how about how much more? Right? But it says how much more? You just, we, we are unwilling to let it go. You understand? But how about how much more? And so we take this to mean, if, since it's bread, if evil fathers know how to give you bread, or, or they just give you fish, then to compare like with like, then instead of just fish and bread, we should get an entire buffet spread. It must be sashimi, it must be oysters, it must be Alaskan crabs. Right? I mean, we, we want to try and stay consistent, right? Well, at least we're trying to be hermeneutically correct. Lah. And again, how much more is defined in material terms? Again, to get more and more stuff. We just can't let this go, you see. This is our problem. And once more, this cannot be true because it contradicts as I have already shared with you. How can we be asking for how much more and so much more when Jesus says, look, lay up heavenly treasures, not earthly treasures? Let's ask this question. What is exactly being compared? I believe that a how much more does not mean greater in quantity or quality as compared to bread and fish. But it refers to our Heavenly Father's wisdom, His faithfulness and His goodness as compared to evil and earthly fathers. Meaning to say, look, if, if we as earthly and evil guys know how to want to give good things and the things that our children might need, the, what we deem as good, don't you think our Heavenly Father will know much more what would be really good? What would be the really good stuff of kingdom significance and kingdom value? It's not about material accumulation. Because our Heavenly Father knows exactly, precisely, without a shadow of a doubt, that we cannot carry any of our material things into eternity. I'm not saying He won't give these to us. I'm not saying that these are bad in itself, that we can never enjoy this. That's not my point. My point is that the how much more does not refer to the quantity of material stuff. The how much more refers to how perfect our Heavenly Father knows how much more, much, much more than these evil earthly fathers. If we know how to give the good things to our children, our Heavenly Father would understand what is of kingdom value and of kingdom significance. Are you ready to let go of the but? I've never heard this passage taught this way before. And I tell you, when I looked at it with fresh eyes, it challenged me also. But we can't dissect a sermon and make it mean what we want it to mean. You've got to listen to it in its entirety and hold it in its context. And so, what do we ask for then? Smile at me, don't look so upset. Because we have a good, good father, amen? So what do we ask for? What do we seek for? What should we be knocking on the door for? Now in the original text, the Greek 
is a present tense. And the present tense is not just ask, seek, not. It actually means to keep asking, to keep seeking. It's more a continuous tense. And to keep knocking. So you and I know it talks about persistence. And you don't just ask. You just, when you first ask, you, you're not getting an answer. Then you're supposed to seek. You search it out. Look for it. You're still not getting it. Then you come to a door that appears to be closed. You, you knock the door. You, you pound the door. You, you whack this door because, because you really want, you, you really, really want it. That's how desperate you are. It is of increasing intensity. That's why I asked you just now, do you need help to live the kingdom life? We do. How badly do you want it? Do you want to be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ? Yes. How desperately do you want to serve the Lord? I think that's the question we've got to keep asking and and that's what we should not let go of this evening. How desperate are you for that? Lord, if you don't come through, I'm dead, man. Lord, if you don't come through, I'm doing religion, man. Lord, if you don't come through, I'm playing church, man. Lord, if you don't come, how desperately are you asking, seeking, and knocking? And as you hold those questions in your heart, let's look at what we should be asking for. I'll give you five items. Now, these are not new items. And so as you look at these things once more, Go back and read it and study it and ask yourself, would I be asking for these things? Would I be seeking for it? Am I really pounding on heaven's door for these things to manifest within my life? The first is kingdom. I mean, this would be no surprise to us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus already said, seek first the kingdom. Ask for it. Ask for it. Seek that kingdom. Seek it out. And today, it is, we understand church. We understand the, the, the rituals we go through, the, the regimes that we have got to plow through, you know, to attend church, to, to be church people. But have you had a conversation with Christians and you ask them just simply, what is the kingdom? I challenge you. Then after you ask them, what is the good news of the kingdom of God? How do I understand it in light of all that Jesus has been saying? I challenge you, many people will be hard-pressed to answer those questions because we know what church may be. We don't understand the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus is saying, ask for it. Ask for it. My Father is happy to, to show you the mysteries of the kingdom. What's the posture of your heart? Are you hungry for it? Because when we get to Matthew chapter 13, God help us to get there fast enough. He says this, right? To you it's been given the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them it has not. And it's not because you are better than them. It's because they have eyes they don't see. They have ears they don't hear. Their hearts are far from me. Today I think Jesus might be just talking about some of us in the church today. We can listen to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon and we still miss the mysteries of the kingdom. He says, seek the kingdom. And we conveniently take it to mean seek material stuff. How quickly we forget. Before that, he says, seek treasures in heaven. And immediately we can take it to mean seek and ask for earthly treasures. Oh Lord, help us. How we need your grace. 
And as we seek, we know the Father will give because in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 12, verses 31 and 32, in Jesus teaching this same thought, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give. He will give you the kingdom. That's his desire. The question is, how badly do you want it? How desperately would you want it? Because we seek, God gives. And that's the same promise that we see in verses 7 to 11 of chapter 7. That's the first thing. Seek the kingdom. Secondly, ask for the Holy Spirit. We go to a passage that teaches the same thing as Matthew chapter 7, which is Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13. And you've got to let Scripture then interpret Scripture. Here are the same words the Lord uses except for a change. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give what? Who? The Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. This modifies, clarifies, and confirms for us. It's not about the material stuff. It's the Holy Spirit. In my heart, I'm just asking, I say, Lord, then why are you so confusing? Why Matthew, you write this, and then Luke, you write that. And I'm just suggesting this explanation. And you can challenge me. Matthew used the words good things. You see, Matthew was writing to the Jews. These are people of the kingdom who should already know the power of the Holy Spirit. These are Jews. They've they've already seen the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe that Matthew was saying, Hello, guys. You seek the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you won't understand the things of the kingdom. And then when you have the Holy Spirit, you'll see the good things that will come to you because you understand the things of the kingdom. But Luke used the word Holy Spirit and Luke was writing to largely a Gentile audience. And so perhaps he had to be a lot clearer to the Gentiles who needed to know about the Holy Spirit. Just my suggestion. You can disagree with me, and that's fine. But it's very clear that Luke says it's the Holy Spirit. Seek this gift. Ask for it. Knock the door. Badger God for a fullness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught so much about this Holy Spirit or about the Holy Spirit. I mean, He told the woman at the well, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Now in the same book, just to stay consistent, in John chapter 7, 37, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. As we believe, we are given. But not all of us move in the things of the Holy Spirit. Not all of us know how to submit to the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have to ask the Lord to show us the things of the Spirit. Jesus told the disciples, you get to Jerusalem, you hang in there, you wait. Just wait first. 
You wait until the Holy Spirit empowers you, comes upon you. And to the credit of the disciples, 120 plus of them, they get stuck in the upper room and we know it's 10 days. At a point when they were praying, they didn't know it was going to be 10 days. But as they prayed, can you imagine the intensity of asking for the Holy Spirit? Right? Jesus says, you wait, right? And first day they pray, wow, maybe, 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 we'll, maybe it's now, maybe it's now. No. Second day they pray, wow, no. Third day, oh, the in- <laughs> come on, man, God. They get, they, they get more impatient. They are asking for this. Lord, when is this going to happen? They are seeking after it. They are knocking heaven's door, asking for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in the next, very next chapter, the Holy Spirit comes. How desperate are you? How hungry are you for the things of the Spirit? See, without the Holy Spirit, the Word of God is not energized into our hearts. And we can have head knowledge and intellectual understanding and argue with one another and be Facebook theologians. But we have no power of the Spirit. Ask, seek and knock for this. And when you get it, it's not just that. You are asking for the Holy Spirit to enable you to live the kingdom. And that's not even enough because... As you get the Holy Spirit, we're saying, Lord, I want to be led by the Spirit that I can be transformed by the Spirit. So I can be more and more like the Jesus that they were reading about, that we are talking about. Then we want to grow and we want to manifest the, the fruit of the Spirit that we read in Galatians chapter 5. See, it's very easy to do a Sunday school teaching about this and give you a picture and you color the fruit. It's totally another for you to... To, to say, God, I really need this. I mean, God, after Bible study, after church, after Kingdom 101, I go back and I'm snapping at my husband, I'm shouting at my kids, and I don't love anyone that I'm looking at. How hungry are you for this? This is the thing, you see. I mean, how, okay, let me word it another way. How tired are you of playing church? I mean, come on, we can say we have been there, we have done that. If you're still enjoying it, man, you're asleep. But if you are awakened and you want to be aligned, everything changes, my friends. This is all I'm saying to you. You begin to grow, you begin to manifest. And then Paul then says, desire the best gifts. Oh, this is wonderful, right? There are gifts within the gift. This is how much more I'm looking at. First, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit and packed within the gift of the Holy Spirit will be the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How cool is that? And so you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, you desire the best gifts. Stop fighting about these things. Because at the right time, the Holy Spirit will give as He wills. And as He gives to you, it's not really for you, it's for the profit and the benefit of the body of Christ. That's kingdom, you see. It's never about us. It's given to us, but it's never for us. And sometimes we say, I've got this, I've got that. No, it's the Holy Spirit's. It's not yours. You get to play, play with it a while. I'm serious. Isn't that true? But because we have the Holy Spirit, we get to manifest as we would be faithful and willing to move as He directs. Are you hungry for the gifts? Are you desperate? Really? What would you give up 
for this. Later on, when Paul was writing to Timothy, in verse 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And yet, many Christians can quote this, chant this, try to verbalize it, and they are still moving around in fear, in condemnation, with no power, cannot love, and a little bit unsound. Actually, the word sound just means discipline, a self-controlled mind. But we all struggle with this. You know why? We have not read the verse before. You want verse 7 to kick in, you read verse 6. I'll say it one more time for you. Verse 7 doesn't kick in because you memorize it and look in the mirror and keep saying. You read verse 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, because God has not given you a spirit of fear and so on. He's already given you the Holy Spirit, this gift. Stir up the gift. And the word stir up means to to stoke it, to fan that flame, to make sure it comes to a raging fire within you. Now when that begins to burn in you and begins to to move within you, I can bet you, you ain't going to have a spirit of fear, but you will have a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. Stir it up. How do you do it? Spend time in the Lord. Spend time worshipping Him. Pray in the tongue. How desperate are you? And I can tell you, when you first start, uh, don't be worried, don't be condemned, don't be discouraged because, oh, I'm going to pray in the tongue. One minute later, you're pangche. Right? You're tired. Wow, you, wow. you keep looking at the watch. Wow, you mean only three minutes, huh? Keep going on. Keep stirring up that gift. And I've shared this with so many other people. And if they are willing to plow in and plow through, do you know what? They continue to pray. And after that, they look at their watch and they realize it's one hour gone. Stir up the gift. How desperate are you for the things of the kingdom? How desperate are you for the spirit of the king? The third thing is to ask for others. Ask for others, seek for others, knock for others. And I derive this principle from Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 10. Now notice we're already quoted from verses 11 onwards, 9 onwards, where it's a parallel passage, almost exactly the same um, words, ask, seek, and knock. Now in Luke, Jesus speaks a parable before giving that teaching. And so it's related. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, Though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, asking, seeking, knocking, the door is closed, right? He will rise and give him as many as he needs. And then he goes on. And so I say to you, ask, seek, knock. Can you see? The the teaching is consistent. And so this is very consistent with the kingdom focus. 
It's never about ourselves. It's always to be a blessing to someone else. You notice it's in this parable that, that illustration of persistence is this guy goes to his friend and says, I want to be a help and a blessing to this person, but I don't have. I'm not asking for myself. I'm asking for my friend. I'm asking for someone who is tired, who may be thirsty, who may be in need on a long journey. But I, I, I need these things for him. Now, we've made this whole parable about asking it for ourselves. But it's always asking about someone else. And I love the progression because when Jesus spoke the parable, it was about friends. And when he goes on to the next teaching, he talks about earthly fathers. If fathers know how to give good things, and then he progresses to the highest, our Heavenly Father, how much more? And I believe we need the Holy Spirit to change us and transform us, to help us, that we can then learn to see others and to be a blessing to others. We need the Holy Spirit. And I love this parallel when it, when it says that this friend will give him as many as he needs. Do you know in John chapter 3, verse 34, one of my favorite verses, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. God doesn't give the Spirit stingily a bit, a bit. If you are moving on the things of the kingdom and you ask for the Holy Spirit, God will give the Holy Spirit without measure. He's not counting with you, but He wants to know how serious you are. How much do you want it? And when He gives, He pours out and He lavishes it on you. That's a kingdom principle. We ask for others. The fourth thing is to ask for open doors. I mean, if you are knocking, obviously the door is closed. And so we want to ask for open doors. And we see that in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, it quotes something from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22, where it talks about the one that has the key of David. In the book of Revelation, we know it talks about Jesus. And this is to the church in Philadelphia. These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. He's the one. He who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Now Jesus is the one that holds the key. I don't hold the key, and you don't hold the key. Am I correct here? And so he goes on, he says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. And no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. And if you know the church in Philadelphia, they are known as a faithful church. And so when you're asking for open doors, it's not, Lord, can I have this job? Can you open this door for me? It's not that. It's about kingdom assignments. Lord, open this door so that I can run through this and do what I need to do for the sake of your name and your kingdom. If you have a Bible software, you just key in open doors or doors open, and you will see these Bible quotations come out. 
1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8, where Paul says, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me. It's kingdom assignment. He says, I'm going I'm to hang out in Ephesus because there are opportunities now here. My assignments for this time is going to be here. And you better be careful because he goes on, a great and effective door is open to me and there are many adversaries. And so if you want kingdom assignment, get ready for some battles because the enemy is not going to take this sitting down. That's why you need to understand the Holy Spirit and the things of the kingdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to trust to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. He was there to declare the gospel of the Christ, the King, the gospel of the kingdom. How the door was opened for him. I'm sure he prayed. Lord, will you open this? Lord, this is for a kingdom assignment. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. Can you see this? Pray for us. Open that door. Lord, give me that assignment, Lord. If you give me something to do, you've got to make sure that door is open. And so today, in Archivist Awakening, this is what we're trying to tell people. Now, I know my assignment, and I'm here to awaken the saints to know and to fulfill their kingdom assignments. I, I am a spiritual kick-butt guy. But I, I can kick no butt if no door is open for me. Right? I cannot walk into a pastor and say, Excuse me, pastor, can I slap the faces of your people? Some may say yes, but most will say no, correct? God, in the last three and a half years, He has opened doors. And that's why my phrase today is, when God opens the door, I have no choice but to open my mouth. And I'll go in and I'll declare. And we're going to Bandung, and in November, God willing, we'll go to Philippines in Kedapawan City. Who knows what other doors the Lord would open for us? I believe if you want to be hungry and desperate for anything, how hungry and desperate are you to know your kingdom assignment? Most of the time, we only want to wait for a speaker to come, do an altar call, come give a prophetic word, and then you receive your assignment. That's easy. Wait for the guy in front to do all the hard work, <laughs> to do all the fasting, all the praying, all the travailing, all the crying, and then lay hands on you and pray. Cannot like that. Lah. You also must ask, right? You also must seek. You also must knock. See, and that's why sometimes I'm getting, you know, all passionate about this, but I can tell you this, this message of our keepers awaiting sometimes is very frustrating because people can be awakened and after that they're asking you to give them answers. And I keep telling them, I have no answer for you. All I can tell you to do is go and ask and go and seek and go and knock. And then very fast, then they will take it to mean, go and sign up for 20 other classes. I didn't say that. I said, get into your closet fast and pray until God answers. 
the first thing to ask for is justice. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, is a parable, again, that Jesus shared. And again, he says that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Once more about persistence. And many have, again, taken this one verse out of context to say, you know, if you want this uh, bad enough, uh, just keep praying and asking for it. Uh, or you will get your breakthrough. Now, I'm not saying God does not give us breakthroughs. Please, please do not leave with a wrong understanding. Okay? I'm saying we need to understand a kingdom perspective. So in verse 2, he speaks that parable. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. Now, there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, Though he bears long with them, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when a son of man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? What is this parable about? Yes, it is about persistence. But what is the situation? What's the context? Injustice. Injustice. The widow is saying, come on, I am being bullied. I'm being cheated. I'm being taken for a ride. Judge, come on. Now, the judge couldn't care less because he was an unjust judge. And Jesus was using this big contrast. You get my point? That he is unjust, and yet because of a pounding on that door, he said, get me justice. Get me justice. Even the unjust judge huh, will act. How much more? Our Heavenly Father, who is the perfect judge, and in these final days when we are seeing Christians being persecuted, when we are seeing the rights of Christians being violated, freedom of worship being taken away from Christians around uh, the, the different regions, we just don't feel it very much here in Singapore because we have not experienced to that degree. These Christians are crying out day and night. Should we be crying out with them? Should we be praying for them? Or you still think we should be praying for how much more car and how much more house? Pray for justice. Lord, righteousness, help. Your people are being killed. Your people are being laughed at. Even in Singapore, if it's not a, a physical type persecution, right now in Singapore, it's hard to share the gospel because there are, there are different situations that have happened that people have looked at us and say, call yourself Christian. Huh? You're very good in, in raising funds only. Huh? We are also wrongly accused. And we are to pray for this. How desperate are we to see God's kingdom rule and reign how badly do we want it? How hungry are we crying out to say, Lord Jesus, come? Because when you come, your kingdom will be ruled with a rod by your righteousness. And so, dear friends, I submit this to you. Ask for what? Ask for what? Once again, let me qualify. 
Bring your needs to the Lord. Bring your requests to the Lord. I'm not saying that we should not do that. But more than that, over and above that, the priority over and above all these things should be seeking the kingdom, desiring to move by the power of the Holy Spirit, developing a heart and love for others, praying for our kingdom assignments and God to open doors for us that we can move into our areas of operation and seeking justice because just because you're on kingdom assignment doesn't mean that people will treat you fairly. And so as we close, I want to leave you with a promise. I leave you with a promise in the second verse there, in verse 8. It almost sounds like Jesus repeating Himself. In verse 7, He already said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And in verse 8, He sort of changes the phrasing, but I love this one. It says, For everyone, everyone who asks will receive. Everyone who seeks will find. Everyone who knocks will be opened. This is the promise for each and every one of us. It's not for the super spiritual. It's not for the celebrities. It's not for the reverends and the pastors and the doctors and the come what have you, whatever titles we have. It is for every keepers. Everyone. And that includes you. This promise is for you. And for you. And for you. And for you. Let's pray. Lord, we come together, Lord, collectively, corporately, Lord. And I don't think I'll be wrong to say we must repent and we ask your forgiveness. We've made it all about us. We've made it all about our material things. We've made it all about our salaries, our own well-being, the good life. Forgive us, Lord how we have missed the picture entirely. But Lord, I thank you that this evening, you open eyes to see. You have ears that are hearing. And I sense that hearts are being repostured and realigned to what is truly, truly important. Will you help us, Lord? Because I stand here, I ask for myself, and I know others will agree with me. We need you, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit. Forgive us for playing church. Lord, teach us. Show us the kingdom. As we ask you for it, seeking after the kingdom, knocking, pounding upon your door to say, truly, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. It is your good pleasure to show it to us, Lord. And so, Lord, use us. Guide us, Lord. Because you are gracious. You are merciful. You are a loving Father. You're not here to beat us over our brows. You're here to lift us up that we can live for you. And so as we close this teaching, continue, Lord, to guide us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.